0: Warning, this podcast includes adult language and themes, like acknowledging evidence, owning it when you're wrong, and shitty evidence. Disevidentia is an inability to reliably process evidence, and this is a podcast all
1: about it. This episode was released March 10, 2021, and we are discussing Dis evidentia because it is clear that millions of conspiracy theorists are suffering from it. I am Squeaky. And I am Mako.
0: We are software developers and we know how software made this next sentence technically true. The
1: United States has landed a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier on Mars with a rocket crane. You can support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash disevidentia. Check out our sponsors at disevidentia.com on our support page.
0: Nice hash lets you mine
1: cryptocurrency on your own computer easily. See the link in the show notes or the support page. Today is a deep space deep dive and we are going to discuss considering the quality of sources, landing denial, doomsayers, pareidolia problems, people who shouldn't be trusted, and alien super science. But first, I'm going to go on a rant. (music) I'm curious
0: about the cat, how much of that was picked up. So you've dusted the cat? Yep. I am fat. This isn't healthy. All of the doctors and experts agree. I am at a higher risk of diabetes and heart issues, and so is anyone else overweight. There are countless studies and boundless evidence to support this written and assembled by the best experts. I linked a few in the show notes. Body shaming, needless berating and insults don't help. This seems obvious to some. If people are overweight, then insulting them usually won't help. It leads many people to stress eating, or to dodge the gym. Insults might help me, but I am a confrontational douchebag. Most people aren't me, and don't start a podcast to escalate their confrontationalism. That insults are bad isn't obvious to all people. For this issue, there are people on the left, and the right of the political spectrum getting this wrong. See the show notes for Bill Maher and Breitbart doing so. I almost expect this from an idiot comedian, but the latter is a slanted news outlet that actually cites sources that directly contradict them. Again, this is all well studied and documented by experts. And again, I linked a few in the show notes. So, I shouldn't be a jerk to fat people, and if I want to help my fat friend, then being positive and compassionate is the way to do it. So long as I am not being an enabler of poor choices through excess body positivity, then great. All these experts telling us what works and what doesn't makes the evidence feel far away and unapproachable. Today, we're going to be discussing aliens in outer space, so evidence might feel even further away. Evidence doesn't need to be some distant thing made only by people in some Ivy League school. The best evidence has always been instructions on how you can prove something to yourself. To help myself with my fat problem, I use a simple scale. I weigh myself every morning. This isn't grand. This isn't miraculous. This simple act is life-changing. I am down more than 60 pounds by doing trial and error to lose a few pounds every month. This isn't me being special or seeking adulation. Fuck that. Do not congratulate me for taking basic care of myself. However. Please note my use of evidence. There is no fad diet, no miracle drug, there is no one secret that nutritionists hate. There is me realizing that if I skipped sour cream in burritos, I kept losing weight that month and that I liked guacamole more anyway. Skipping sour cream is a small change and I noticed the result because I measured. I do need to know how to use the scale as a tool. I need to understand that I can fluctuate up to five pounds, two kilos for those of us in civilized countries, every day, just on water weight. So I need to account for that, doing averages or tracking record lows or something. There are a few other things I need to know, but those details aren't important today. Understanding that you can gather evidence is the important part. Understanding that you can use a new tool to gather evidence is almost as important. There are a ton of tools that can be learned easily enough. Evidence doesn't need to be far away if you're willing to do just a little work and learn some tooling. Even many of the seemingly far off discussions in this episode can be impacted by amateurs gathering evidence with the right tools. The amateur astronomy scene is kind of a big deal. Amateur astronomers discovered the planet Uranus. In more recent times, they discovered more than 40 exoplanets. Both the Hale-Bopp and Shoemaker-Levy 9 comets were at least partially discovered by amateurs. Even for things that seem far away, you can get into it for less than the price of a Playstation. I am not saying that you should rush out and buy a telescope or binoculars today, but you should at least consider what you can do, what you can learn that you hadn't known before. Maybe get a kilowatt to lower your power bill. Get some new measuring tool or book for an interest you had but hadn't dug into yet. You might just be one new tool away from gathering some information that can help you. Help others or just learn something new. Again, I link to some tools I bought and used in the show notes including the kilowatt, which is just a gizmo you stick between your electrical appliances and the wall outlets to see how much power they're really using. Apparently, there aren't any limits. I learned, just hours before recording this, that there's an amateur genetic engineering scene, and they use living cells as tools, and have good evidence on the best ways to grow dozens of strains of glow-in-the-dark microbes. If these yahoos can invent microbe waves in their garage, then you can pick up a fresh tool to learn something new. And you're welcome to add your own jokes. You're funny sometimes. Sometimes. I'm looking. What? What? (laughs) So I figured before we got started on the topics of deep space, we would discuss a little bit about how to establish the quality of sources. One of our uh, listeners, uh, Ralph Yu, decided to uh, link me to the interactive media bias chart from AdFonts Media.
1: Did you have a chance to look at it? Not in detail. But I am familiar with media bias and uh, people that try to categorize media bias. Yeah, these guys use a series of
0: surveys on different articles, and then they do some sort of averaging or aggregation to try to rate them on a on two axes. How left-right they skew, and how neutral or fact-based versus how uh, inaccurate they are. So they consider analysis to be a little bit less accurate, which I don't entirely disagree with, because I feel there's a... You can analyze something and make it clear that you're analyzing and keep that distinct from the the opinion part of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But this is just one way. I also think they're fairly right-leaning on a lot of it, but they can't be that wrong. They say things like the Weather Channel are both accurate and neutral.
1: Yeah.
0: We don't have liberal earthquakes.
1: Well, I mean, some people would try to argue that we do have conservative hurricanes. What, to kill all the
0: gay people? Exactly, yes. I can't believe the crap some of those bigot mega-pastors say. We actually might start getting news about liberal hurricanes. I wouldn't be surprised if more and more hurricanes, they keep claiming that uh, that they're very global Mm warming-related. And statistically, that's true, but it's really hard to pin down any specific weather event.
1: Well, the idea behind the science of climate change is that these kinds of severe weather are going to gradually increase in intensity and the seasons are going to gradually grow in size. So it's not something that would be obvious in any one given event.
0: Yeah, that's true. Some other sources, for the listeners, if you're unaware, we are in Omaha, Nebraska. The Omaha World Herald is one of the highest rated sources on this for being fact-based. That really surprised me. Yeah,
1: I would not have expected something like that from a local publication.
0: I think they're too stupid to lie.
1: I wow. <laughs> I mean, I don't read them, so I can't really offer any meaningful input other than wow. Uh,
0: you know what it takes to get to like cancel that? Like, they will send you that junk for free, and you like have to threaten the guy who's delivering it. then they stop.
1: Why would they care about the opinion of the guy who's delivering it?
0: You know, I stopped getting the papers. Maybe he told them they delivered it and was just lying.
1: If you got results, you got results. I guess I can't argue.
0: <laughs> okay. what what do you feel goes into the the quality of a source? What makes you trust something more or less?
1: Well, for like an individual source, because I mean, of course, you want to have multiple sources, but if I'm just evaluating an individual source on its own, the primary thing I guess I'm looking for is a bit of nuance. Because a lot of situations do have nuance, and I like it when they go into that without necessarily resorting to ad hominems or begging the question or any of those other. Tactics that are involved and establishing context as well helps a lot.
0: Yeah, avoiding the common logical fallacies makes a ton of sense to me. If I don't know what else to look at, I like to try to understand the motives of the source. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's possible for someone with a motive to be honest, even in the field where they would normally have a conflict of interest. But knowing what a source's motive is can make it easier to trust them. Like, if there's some company that has a, a habit of taking oil money and they're telling me that this new oil pipeline won't hurt anything. You know, I'm a little less likely to trust them and verify it. Then if independent sources corroborate them, okay,
1: maybe I trust that source a little more from now on. Uh, I suppose if I were to read an article about uh, how oil spills are not all that damaging to the environment from BP, I would probably raise an eyebrow.
0: Yeah. That wasn't a great example. I was trying to stay apolitical, but I think the most common motives we see are political axe grinding. Like Fox News clearly has an extreme conservative bias. Maybe not as extreme as Breitbart or InfoWars. Occupy Democrat, Mother Jones, both have fairly extreme liberal biases. This chart says that MSNBC is skewed super liberal, but every time I I find something up there that I distrust and I go and fact check it, it's always, like, accurate, and I didn't find it misleading.
1: So either I'm super liberal or... Yeah, that's a common sentiment, but I'm not really exposed to MSNBC enough to really say.
0: Yeah. Also, in our first episode, we discussed some quality sources. We mentioned BBC, AP News, Reuters, and Al Jazeera. And all of those are both very neutral and very fact-based. So knowing that we don't suck at picking sources is nice. And there were some other surprises here. I thought Vice was extremely liberal, Mm. and it's not rated
1: super liberal, so. It leans liberal, but it's not liberal outright, no. Uh,
0: Another way to interpret that is uh, we should take this chart as an order of magnitude type of thing, Hmm. right? If you don't know exactly how good something is, right, and you try to rank it 1 to 10, maybe the 5 and the 6, maybe it's not always, right? Maybe sometimes the 5 is better than the 6 and vice versa. But the 2 will never be better than the 8. So maybe Vox is a 5 on the liberal meter and uh, Occupy Democrats is a 10 on the liberal meter. We know Vox will never be that liberal, but it's certainly going to be more liberal than the Daily Mail or Sputnik. Quick
1: clarification. You initially said Vice and then just twice now you said Vox.
0: Uh... Uh, I probably just misspoke there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, they're both uh, really close on the chart. Okay. They are right next to each other. Sure. But yeah, v- Vox and Vice are both somewhat liberal per the chart, and my opinion was they were both more liberal than what they looked like.
1: Yeah.
0: Ah. And this chart also is imperfect. Sputnik, the Russia official news, they have it a- uh, rated it fairly accurate. Kind of <laughs> gross. Well, no one's perfect. Yeah. Something else that's really good for a source to do, do they cite other sources? Like, do they cite
1: scientific papers or experiments or the numbers. Yeah, the quality of sources that they cite Yeah. in addition to whether or not and how many.
0: Yeah, and, of course, that doesn't make sense to cite other sources when you're the original source. Oh, no. Yeah, and last time we discussed primary versus secondary sources, but, again, a primary source is the person generating the news. So, like, a person recording at the, the SpaceX launch that recently failed, the person filming that is a primary source. They shouldn't be citing anything unless they're making some of their claims, but somebody... You know, redistributing that should say who filmed it or where they got that thing from.
1: Mm-hmm. Anything else? So sources that lean in different ways. Like, again, the easiest examples are always going to be political, especially in the current news climate, regrettably. But something that has a right-leaning bias versus something that has a left-leaning bias, The how many agreements do they have through this bias? versus just completely disagree outright and i mean on the surface of it these stories often are telling just completely different things when you're just reading the headline but then going in going a little bit deeper into a lot of like popular stories they tend to not disagree as much as you might think but they they still disagree enough so the daily beast a fairly liberal
0: publication might say 17,000 children locked in cages being tortured, whereas Breitbart might say, 17, illegal infiltrators detained, and you're being defended by them as they're interrogated. Yeah. They're at least agreeing on the 17,000, but then you have to dig in for the details and figure out what the hell's actually going on.
1: Yeah. Or in some cases, like context will just be omitted. And sometimes it'll be omitted in a way that seems a bit deliberate. Do you have any examples? So, actually, going with the children in cages that you were kind of touching on there.
0: Yeah, and it was making numbers up. None of that was... Of course, of course, of course. Good for an example.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of people that I've seen in different places, and occasionally they'll link some news story from some publication that's right-leaning where they try to deflect entirely from the individual decisions that were made by the trump administration regarding that policy like they will say that trump isn't doing anything new that obama also put people in like they locked them away when they were being processed for asylum seeking and that's that's not really true on the face of it but it's really really close to being true People were allowed to leave at any time, so they weren't really locked, and they weren't separated from their, their families. But there were camps that were created during the Obama administration for the housing of these people while they were processed and waiting for their asylum-seeking hearing. And that specific context is often omitted from the right-leaning sources. They just try to focus on, well, the, the high-level details are close enough that we're just going to comfortably assert that it's the same between the Obama and the Trump administrations.
0: Yeah, that's been my experience as well, particularly on that issue. I wish I had a less politically motivated issue. But like, what's going on with uh, actually recently with Biden reopening up one of those uh, camps Mm -hmm. and putting children in it? It sounds horrible. And it, it is a little bit horrible. But it's not what so many people are saying. Tons of the people near me are saying things like, Uh, Biden's continuing the child separation policy, and locking kids in cages and torturing them and waterboarding them. Okay, let's unpack that. There's no waterboarding, there's no torturing, there's no interrogating. Yes, they are being placed in a facility against their will, but no, they didn't come with a family they were separated from. It turns out there are lots of children crossing the border on their own, and we need a place to put them, because you can't just release minors that are undocumented people out into the population. They have to go somewhere. The Trump administration didn't leave any humane facilities. So we picked one that was the least terrible. It was a tent city used uh, used by oil diggers in the past. And they're trying to refurbish it and make it not a human rights disaster. Or at least it would appear. I'm giving Biden the benefit of the doubt because he hasn't lied to me 10,000 times yet.
1: That is an unfortunate yet. And this is uh, why it's important
0: to evaluate our sources. If I'm using Joe Biden as a source... How often has he lied to me? He's a politician, so some. Yeah. But compared to other recent politicians
1: filling the same role, not nearly as much. No, it does not seem to be habitual with Biden.
0: Yeah. God, we went way off in the weeds here on politics. Yep. We should get on to the deep space deep dive. Oh, boy. Interstitial. Almost lost it near the end there.
1: Hey,
0: so the first one we have, I figure we would... Address these in pairs. So uh, there's a whole bunch of discussion, uh, both in Reddit and other places, about the Mars landing being fake. And immediately I went straight to the moon landing deniers. Uh, Are you familiar with parts of this? Parts of it.
1: I I don't have a whole lot of exposure to it, but I am aware that there was a recent landing on Mars with the Perseverance rover, a landing that I watched. But yeah, uh, so I'm aware that people are being kind of uppity about the news because there was a recent event pertaining to that kind of thing
0: yeah which seems like whenever anything difficult and science related pops up in the headlines we start getting lies about it so on that specifically we have five sources buzzfeed huffington post express.co.uk is it the daily express i don't know soulask.com and there's our reddit thread and all of the links to that will be in the show notes But I also figured I would go dig up some discussions from Reddit where we where they persist in claiming the moon landing was fake. Because I feel there's a lot of ways to rebut both of these the same way because they're equally evidence free. The moon landing one in particular
1: is a pretty old claim.
0: Yeah. Eventually, the ways to rebut both of these ludicrous claims will be really similar because it all boils down to getting external confirmation. And I guess we should discuss what some of these claims are. Mm-hmm. NASA actually has a facility in a place called Devon Island in Canada. It's just way north in the, the permafrost. Yeah. You know, because metal, when it gets cold, it gets brittle, right? They want some place that's dry and rocky.
1: And it's uninhabited, so it's a- away from
0: a lot of people. I suppose. They could use the rovers to chase people off.
1: <laughs> they could.
0: <laughs> yeah. So this Devon Island,
1: it's, I don't want to say it's similar to Mars, but it's closer to Mars than Florida. Yes. And that is desirable if they want to do some kind of testing with their equipment.
0: Yeah. So I actually jumped into the discussion with some of these people on the Reddit thread. And they're like, no kidding. They just responded with the sarcastic font. And they're like, yeah, you're going to practice before you go to Mars. I'm like, yes, I'm going to practice before
1: I go to Mars. You
0: should definitely yeah. practice before you launch a thing into space for a billion dollars.
1: And not only that, but the <laughs> the time it took to prepare for that project, the time it takes to launch and get it there, and just the horrifying knowledge that if anything goes wrong you can't respond in real time to errors the thing has to be able to deal with it on its own and just that on its own just like you're clenched the whole time down yep
0: i know everybody goes over it but there's the whole seven minutes of terror yeah like right, the thing starts off at something stupid like fourteen thousand miles per hour or kilometers per hour i don't know if it's freedom units or whatever but it's many <laughs> tens of thousands of whatever per hour or tens of thousands of whatever per hour it starts by breaking by hitting the atmosphere and even though the atmosphere's thin, it exists. So there's a heat shield, and that ablates, it burns away as, as heat hits it. And then uh, that slows it down, it releases a drogue chute. Because the, parachute, because the air, air is really thin on Mars, this drogue chute isn't designed to stop it, but just make more drag. Mm-hmm. And you can't start off with that, because it'll just get ripped off. Then when it gets closer, when it's down to hundreds of units of speed per hour... So, you know, something like the sound barrier here on Earth, it drops off the heat shield and uh, that lets go of most of the weight, or maybe not most, but a bunch of weight. Mm-hmm. So it starts going even slower because the heat shield's functionally a big rock. And then as it gets closer to the ground, it releases the parachute and rockets fire on this thing. And then the rockets, the rockets are attached to one part and it lowers the rover on a rope. A rope. There were three ropes and then one Ethernet cable. No kidding. We launched Cat 6 to Mars. Yep. For uh, those not into computers, that's a fairly inexpensive kind of network cable. It's like a dollar a foot. Anyway, so then this sky crane thing that's rocket powered, after the rover touches down, it launches off. All that takes seven minutes, but it takes between 10 and 20 minutes for the light, for the radio signal from the rover and from the sky crane to get back here to Earth. Mm-hmm. So you literally can't respond. You have to write it, or you have to build the software once, you have to get it right, and it has to do it all on its own. And then once it's on the ground, right, if the rover's rolling around and like hits a rock or something, it still has to respond on its own, right? If it rolls over something or begins rolling off a cliff or something, it needs to stop itself. And it needs to do that automatically because it takes, depending on where Mars and Earth are, between 10 and 20 minutes for the radio signal to get here, then 10 or 20 minutes for the radio signal to get
1: back to tell it what to do. Not only that, but the uplink speed. That And its ability to transmit data has such a bandwidth that, yeah, it's easy for it to send telemetry with that delay. But if you want to get high-quality pictures, like in any kind of video streaming manner, you just can't. So
0: are you telling me that if the rover wanted to play Fortnite, it would get a bunch of lag?
1: Very much so. Some of the worst lag you have ever experienced.
0: Actually, we can just measure that, because ping is just a measure of milliseconds. Mm -hmm. So if it's a... 20 minutes out, which is the furthest Mars can be away from Earth. 60 seconds times 1,000 milliseconds in a minute. That would be a ping of 1.2 million. hell of a ping. I complain when my ping's above 100. All right, moving on for the non-gamers. All of that feeds into this conspiracy theory. That sounds impossible, right? Yeah. So people say that's all fake. So clearly what they've done is they've just color shifted photos from Devon Island and they're saying that's what we got from Mars.
1: They have a little bit more than that for the Devon Island oh, com- uh, accusation. Lay it on me. So there's a f- number of people that claim that they saw some suspiciously shaped rocks that actually look like bones. And they claim they're walrus bones, right? Because though that species of walrus is native to the island. <sighs> "'Yay,
0: walrus bones. There's no way a rock anywhere could accidentally look like a bone.'"
1: I've actually looked at the side-by-side images of the rock and the bone, and yeah, the general shape is kind of vaguely there, but it doesn't really look like the bone in their reference image.
0: In the photo, one half of that rock-bone-looking thing is under another rock, so if you give them the benefit of the doubt, I can see where it looks like a bone. But that's a rubbish argument.
1: Yeah, I don't know. like even factoring in the part of it is underneath another rock, it's just the parts that you can see. It's not quite the right shape. Moving on to rebut these, to to rebut
0: both of these, mm-hmm. um, the best way to get the best way to know what's true isn't to try to tease at the source. I mean, that's great for trying to rule sources in and out. Mm-hmm. But if you can just get external confirmation, you can just get more sources, right? And I've linked a bunch of sources, six sources, Task.com has an article where they confirm that Russia confirmed Perseverance, at least was launched. There's another source where China got to Mars also, and I believe China didn't say we didn't go, and China would yell, like, if we were faking it. They would love to tell us about that.
1: They would capitalize on any opportunity to delegitimize the United States. Yeah,
0: Russia and China would. Now, I don't know if the UAE would, uh, the United Arab Emirates, but uh, they also got a thing to mars i think there's just an orbiter i'm not sure but china uh the uae and the usa all three of us got to mars and none of us are saying the other ones didn't and we all have radar and we all have things scanning and we all like we have to coordinate you can't risk you know your billion dollar probes hitting each other yeah uh, uh one other thing uh this isn't a country confirming it but i have an article from the hill where musk thinks he can go to mars too mm. we all kind of knew it but i put a source in there
1: Yeah, everything Musk has been doing over the last decade kind of screams, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. So it's just natural to presume he wants to go to Mars.
0: I kind of agree with him on this one. (laughs) Some other external sources. There is just a retro reflector. Now, this isn't for Mars. This is for the moon. Mm -hmm. The Apollo astronauts left a retro reflector, which is just a funny shaped piece of metal on the moon. And if you shine a light at it, typically a laser, from any angle, it will reflect that thing straight back at you. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, For reference, a retroreflector is just, it's specially shaped. It's uh, the same type of reflecting material that you see on road signs. And that's why they're so bright at night. They they have this shape that will reflect light back at wherever it came from. So when your headlights hit the stop sign, you see the stop sign. Same thing with this thing they left on the moon. It's very artificial. People try to claim it's just a shiny rock. But there are no natural retroreflectors. And you can buy a laser to test this. It's not cheap. But if you and a group of, of your of your friends got together and did this, you could do just what the flat earthers did when they bought that $20,000 gyroscope to measure the Earth's roundness. You could buy a fancy laser, shoot, shoot a, uh, a beam of light up at it, and measure that it took 1.2 seconds to get there and 1.2 seconds to get back. You can verify for yourself that there's an artificial object there. Yep. Ugh. There's one article from Space.com where it shows that moon-landing hoax belief correlates with partisanship. Republicans are more likely to believe in it. Something like 20% of Republicans believe in it, 13% of independents, 6% of Democrats. I will leave it as an exercise to our listeners, who are smart and capable, as to what that means. I got a source from uh, NVIDIA and Hexus, which is just a news aggregator. They do tech news. But one last thing you can do to try to verify something that's really hard and difficult, is you can try to make a simulation to verify if our understanding of it matches the reality of what occurred. And NVIDIA, they're a company that makes uh, graphics cards, little computers that do nothing but work on graphics, and they have some ray tracing technology where they use math to simulate how light behaves. They have a really cool talk from a few years ago where they actually show they made 3D models of the Lunar Lander, Neil Armstrong, Buzz, the, uh, the lunar surface. And they used different light models, uh, different rules for how the math would work. And they were able to make it with the set of rules that best match physics as we know it, duplicate the scene that matches the photos from the lunar landing. So if somebody was going to fake that, they'd have to go really far out of their way and use science about light we didn't know and they'd have to use science we didn't know when we actually went to the moon. Mm -hmm. The link for that video will be in the show notes. You had some notes here about the Van Allen
1: belts?
0: (laughs) Looks like it came from one of the Reddit discussions in our conspiracy.
1: Yeah, in the conspiracy subreddit post that you provided, I I skimmed it. There was so much that was written there, I kind of... Left it just skipping through some of the uh, high level comments. Any more than skimming is probably
0: dangerous. Yeah,
1: that was the first time that I've read anything on the conspiracy subreddit. I had been resorting to secondhand information about the subreddit up till now, and after having taken a glance at it, I'm quite happy that I did. It is filled with a bunch of people who, up and down, assert that they are correct, will resort to ad hominems, are very, very touchy about having ad hominems returned back at them and don't really provide sources. They they act like, oh, the, well, this is common knowledge. Just look it up yourself. And they don't realize that plenty of people who do look it up themselves don't agree with them because <laughs> they're looking for very specific kinds of information. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if things like Google search personalization is a little bit at fault here. But anyway, I digress. So one of the comments, when I was specifically looking for sources, one of the comments linked to a website called Wikispooks. It is a, it calls itself an encyclopedia for everything that is deep politics. Deep politics meaning all the things that are hidden from normal view that most people are unaware of. Pretty much exactly the type of thing that conspiracy theorists are all about and there was one particular section of wiki spooks that tried to argue that the lunar landing with people was not possible because of the van allen radiation belts which near as i can tell are an actual thing
0: uh yeah the van allen radiation belts are they're a real thing yeah it's it's like ionized particles captured by the earth's magnetic field
1: yeah so they are arguing that Because of that, the radiation would be so high if people were to leave Earth orbit, even low Earth orbit, that people would just die if they tried to venture on such a mission. Unless, of course, according to the Russians, according to this person, unless, of course, they had four feet of lead protecting them along the trip.
0: I don't think it takes four feet of lead until you get to the point where the lead is the primary source of radiation you're receiving yeah
1: what the hell it is it is weird and as i read more and more i mean i i don't claim to be an expert on this particular matter but it was pretty clear just from the writing that they were not really citing things because like they tried to say the russians claim they need four feet of lead but they didn't provide any publication or any research paper, or any any news story to suggest or even assert that, like, yes, this is the Russian that said that you need this much lead in order to survive the trip, nor do they provide any other context. Like, I was talking in the quality of the source's nuance. If you're going to tell me that the Van Allen radiation belts has so much radiation that people are going to die, then tell me exactly how much radiation there's going to be and how much radiation is... Uh, typical for somebody to live with versus how much is is going to be lethal within like say a six month span and then providing that context then people can infer okay how lethal is this and all of that specific information that nuance was completely absent from what they had written in the article for it and as the thing kept going on it it read more and more and more like an op-ed rather than anything that was actually tangible so I eventually just sort of dropped it and moved on. So
0: I'm checking out this document that comes from NASA. Mm-hmm. It is a highly reputable source that has a history of not lying and all these conspiracy theorists hate. Yep. And they say that if you're going through the radiation belts on a typical trajectory at a typical speed, the astronaut will get approximately 16 rads of radiation. I'm just going to go ahead and Google up a uh, lethal dose of radiation. I'm pretty sure it's much higher than
1: 16 but I'm no expert.
0: Ooh, Google wants me to know what the lethal dose of caffeine is. Probably, so I will stop drinking what I'm drinking right now. All these other sources are giving it to me in sieverts and rem. So what is five sieverts in rads? watches they're inconvertible somehow. Nope, this works. 16 rads is 0.16 sieverts. So in order to get a lethal dose, let's go and round that down to four. A lethal dose is something like 400 rads. So, you know, 16 isn't insignificant. Yeah. There's a kernel of truth there. You don't want to live in the Van Allen radiation belt. Of course not. But it's hardly, horribly lethal. It takes like two seconds to check. I'm using sources like the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. But I guess if you just hate the government and somehow are into deep politics but not paying attention to the government, Mm -hmm. this is... uh, too much for you. Yep. Okay. Well, let's move on from these people who just can't be arsed to deal with it. You going to meow for us again? Yes, please. Okay. Well, let's move on from people who just can't be bothered to uh, do the most basic of fact checking. Yep. And on to doomsayers. Oh, fun. All right. So doomsayers. Um, These are just people who are claiming that we're all going to die. Yeah. Right? And we I've picked two categories of them today. Uh, sticking with the deep space and Anunnaki theme, Planet 10, Planet 12, whatever we're calling it now, Nibiru. Nibiru, yeah. It, uh, is the planet that the Anunnaki, the ancient race of aliens that genetically engineered all humanity for the purpose of mining gold, their planet is going to collide with us because it's on an unstable orbit that goes around the sun every 3,600 years.
1: Yeah, so one of the sources... (laughs) (laughs) was <laughs> spectacular uh the world uh, weekly news yeah or weekly world news yeah so and it's not spectacular in a good way i should make that absolutely clear but it did agree with everything i just said yeah so the weekly world news article that you provided i, I mean i skimmed it i don't think i finished it but there is a prominent astrophysicist named dr frank malikovsky I might be butchering that name, and if I am, I apologize. Uh, But it features this quote-unquote prominent astrophysicist who has been tracking Nibiru and claims that it is very, very difficult, so it's understandable that other people can't track it, including every other space agency on the planet that have huge teams of dedicated people, (laughs) but he has the skills. And he has been tracking it, and like he, he says that it has been passing by certain planets, And that its trajectory, he's very, very confident, is going to end up uh, colliding with us. And he even goes on to say that the trajectory that it moves along does not make any sense. And he tries to rationalize this by saying the planet itself is alive and wants to collide with us. Uh, Just to
0: mm -hmm. make it perfectly clear, Weekly World News, that's the same publication That keeps us up to date on Batboy. I
1: wouldn't be surprised. No, I mean, like, if you open that link. Oh, you're asserting this. You're not suggesting. Oh, that's horrifying.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go and open the link right now. Sure. So, uh, Planet Nibiru on collision course with Earth. And then if I look over in the right sidebar, we can see Batboy does the Dolly Parton challenge on LinkedIn, Facebook, Tinder, and Instagram. Good for
1: him. Uh, When I was looking at the other alternate headlines the only one that i really saw was titled how to tell if you're a clone and i just i I had to pause at reading that that was just so i don't even know
0: so earlier we were mentioning vetting sources i would argue that if your source ever agrees with weekly world news your other
1: source is wrong yeah that's a pretty reasonable thing to say yeah so This prominent astrophysicist, I I did a little bit of checking because, I mean, just on the surface of it, everything is so ridiculous. Like, it describes the trajectory, tries to say the planet itself is alive, even clarifying that, no, it's not the will of the people trying to steer the planet, which we're talking about a hyper-advanced alien race. Maybe there's some plausible deniability there, but setting aside the lack of evidence for it. But uh, yeah, setting aside the lack of evidence, the initial claim that it is just zooming through... The solar system is, it just flies in the face of what we know uh, for physics because, it, at the bare minimum, how close it's getting to all these things that he's claiming, it would be perturbing orbits, especially if it is the size that they are depicting in the article. The article has a scale chart and it shows Nibiru as being just slightly smaller than Saturn. And, but it's a solid rocky planet, making it absolutely enormous and massive i don't think he's specified but yes he left it implied that it is a rocky planet okay because it's inhabited by the anunnaki
0: let me throw the rest of the sources out here just to sure. throw a bunch of mud on these claims there's the ib times again that's a uh, one of those sources from india i believe they cite a number of other people uh, doom speakers that have dates that have come and gone for uh nibiru colliding with earth uh there's the daily star And they said it was going to collide with Earth in 2017, according to a David Mead. He based his findings on the Bible. All of these people have different predictions on things like the size of Nibiru, or the science they rely on makes different claims. It seems that if you're looking for Nibiru, it's a tiny icy body in the Kuiper belt that's hard to find. But if you're predicting it's colliding with something, it's gigantic and massive
1: and stomping down on you right now. How convenient. Mm. It is always the worst at whatever it happens to be right now.
0: Yeah. I didn't want to derail you too much. Did you
1: look into that how to tell if you're a clone? I did not. How will I know if I'm a clone? Oh, that's pretty easy, actually. No one wants to clone you. <laughs> I'm making a sad face right now. Well, fine
0: then. Let's discuss some of these other Doom speakers. Sure. Uh, David Mead based his uh, prediction that Nabir was colliding with Earth in 2017 on some Bible quotes. He was citing Revelation 12, 2 and uh, it's allegorical at best. And it says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And that is apparently telling us that the world's going to end all you have to do is totally take it out of context
1: yeah if you already believe something to be true it's pretty easy to look at other things and say that hey that's connected to what i already believe this is like the whole nostradamus thing uh and
0: this article even went out of their way to try to steal credit from caltech they try to lean on caltech's reputation and say scientists at caltech verified this but they never cite a link to those scientists. They never give a scientist's name. They never. As soon as you get somebody credible, all the links to actual you know, substance, to, to science, to papers, to people go away. It's all these not credible people that stick around. Like this Mead or this uh, Malakovsky? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These are the people who stick around when it's BS. Just for some comparison, I have some older examples of Doom speakers. Uh, I went with Daily Post, Fox News, and some listings from Wikipedia and Listverse. Uh, the Daily Post had the Daily Post and Fox News both have modern-day preachers who are claiming the end times is upon us now. One is saying the rapture will happen in the next ten years, but doesn't provide any reason other than citing the Bible, not even a specific verse. And mm-hmm. Fox News is saying that. Uh, This one Cardinal Dolan is claiming that COVID is the end times, but we shouldn't freak out or panic if we're good Christians. Yep. Neither had any real substance. They rarely do. And there's a name maybe you've already heard of, Harold Camping. I linked to his Wikipedia page. It speaks for itself. But he's got some uh, Bible verses. Revelation 22.10, it speaks of the end time being near. Um, And then some other ones that are really easy to take out of context, I guess, because you have to if you're going to uh, make this about the end of the world. But he's claimed the end of the world at least three different times in 1994, 2005, and 2011. And we know all of this because we have good records. We write things down. We can keep track of data now for, you know, decades. Yep. But it hasn't always been that easy. And that's why I went back with Listverse. It has 10 different times people were claiming the world was going to end. Some of them are making vague religious claims like that there's a demon pope and that's somehow going to bring about the end. Uh, One Thyota the Heretic went to the Catholic Church, and openly told them that the end was near, and for her heresy, she got a public beating and was sent on her way. And there's one uh, person, a person named Munster, he he preached about the apocalypse and was able to raise a force of 8,000 peasants, and, and tried to fight a revolt against the powers that be. I don't remember where this was, I think it was Germany. Mm-hmm. But by the end of it, uh, 5,000 of his peasants were dead, and they found him cowering under a bed. And all of these people were lying for some
1: other purpose. Maybe
0: Thyoda the Heretic was an earnest believer.
1: In... It seems like an isolated enough circumstance it's easy to believe that maybe they believed it.
0: Yeah, she, she might have believed it and might have just been delusional. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of these people believed it and generally weren't very successful. But the ones who were doing it that got big followings or got money, it's really hard to believe that they believed it and they weren't just making it up for short-term gain. Yeah, But something we can see through these lists, right? People are claiming constantly that the end of the world is near.
1: It's not new. It's been going on for, I I dare say it's been going on as long as we have been aware of death. (laughs) So it's something that's on people's minds, both individually, but of course at some point or another it's going to end up on people's minds on a larger societal scale as well.
0: So how do we verify the truth of such claims?
1: Oh, the simple thing to say is that Well, we're still here. And not only are we still here, we are thriving.
0: Well, for that one Doom speaker who gets it right, (laughs) I don't want to be there, you know, say I'll be there the day after and fail to miss that appointment.
1: Well, it's a matter of understanding, like, where they're coming from and, like, the mechanisms with which they're trying to describe our Doom is approaching. If someone wants to say that, oh, I detected an asteroid and it's on a collision course and it can cause an extinction-level event... That's happened before. We get scientists
0: to look at it and analyze it and verify, and then we take actions appropriate to what we learn.
1: That is credible. But then if you say, oh, well, I found a secret code in the Bible that describes a rapture happening at exactly this time on exactly this date. Uh,
0: So get evidence. Understand what the prediction is actually claiming. Do our best to verify it, because Mm -hmm. like any other information... Right, it can be true or false. If it actually matters, we can we can check most of these things. Uh, if that's difficult for some reason, like let's say I don't own a telescope and I can't check to see if Planet Nibiru is barreling down on us. Yep. Yeah. we can check the veracity of the claimant. Right, Harold Camping claimed on national TV three times that the uh, that the world was ending. If he tried to claim it again today, we should disregard him out of hand because he's a damn dirty liar.
1: Yeah. Or even if we are to try to give him benefit of the doubt, which he does not deserve, then he's still been wrong often enough that he should shouldn't be trusted on the face of it. You're
0: right. Maybe he's just bad at math. Yeah. Um, we should also check history for similar claims, right? See what people did then. Mm-hmm. Like, if somebody's claiming that Nibiru is going to hit us, what did uh, astronomers in the past do? They looked for Nibiru. Oh, well, let's see what organizations looked for it. What did they find? What did they say? And we can see if this event is different than past ones. Or if people are making claims about the church or about some religious apocalypse, does it line up with things in the past? Is this person perhaps a hoaxer just copying a hoaxer from yielden times? <laughs> uh, so I've included a few sources. Uh, do you want to tell me about some of these uh, passages you put in for using the Bible as a source, which is new for us?
1: Oh, well, okay, so... For starters, for a long list of reasons that we can't possibly fully encompass during the course of one podcast, (laughs) oh man, Uh, using holy books as a source is not a really good idea. So there are things in some holy books and some places that we can use sometimes as clues, kinda, but holy books themselves always have an agenda.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They also often mix allegory with reality or with real claims. Yeah. So if you want to use it as a source, you first must disentangle this. Yeah. Even if you believe the holy book's motive is earnest and good, well, we know Noah's flood didn't happen, and if that's in the same book as some other claim, we have to verify.
1: Well, related to Noah's flood, the notion of a full global flood is of course ludicrous and there's so many problems with it Uh, but we could do a whole noah's flood episode we probably could Uh, and uh and maybe i should save this for another episode but just touching on something that i recall reading before there actually if i recall correctly plenty of disclaimers here there actually is a uh, anomalous sediment layer in the geological record in the region of mesopotamia that does suggest that there was a flooding of the region so there could have been a great flood and these people not understanding the size of the world very easily could have mistaken it for having encompassed the entire world and maybe that's why it's referenced in a number of really old religious texts because it's in more places than just the bible
0: oh yeah but You can even see uh, flood stories in, like, Chinese mythology and in Japan and in Native American stories. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just that floods are big, common events that hurt a lot of people. Maybe. So they get stuck in a lot of myths.
1: So I can't comment much on the Asian stuff, but uh, from some of the the reading I have done about the Anunnaki, there definitely seems to be uh, a common time frame for a massive flood in that region. And maybe there's not much to that i mean there certainly isn't a a preponderance of evidence for it but there's more than nothing
0: oh yeah no your story sounds plausible if we ever do a flood episode i'm sure we'll pick that back up
1: yeah moving back to the original point the use of holy books as claims or evidence for claims the problem with specifically with the rapture and the bible there's no shortage of people that claimed that they know a code exists or there's something to be deciphered because they ardently believe that God left behind clues in the Bible for us to decipher. And these people always claim that they have cracked the code and everyone else is wrong and blah, 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 blah. But there isn't really anything in the Bible to explicitly say that there is any kind of code. It's just sort of a belief that they've fabricated. And on top of that, there are passages in the Bible that actually refute the notion of such a code or a warning. <laughs> so Matthew twenty four thirty six says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. And this is in reference to the time and date of the rapture. Not even Jesus, but God does know when this is going to happen. Not even the angels. I'm going to play
0: devil's advocate for just a moment.
1: Sure. Which is great on a
0: religious topic. hmm I could easily see a motivated holy person taking that to spin it around to mean, of course only God knows. That's why he hid it in code in the book.
1: So, yeah, you could argue about the context of this particular passage uh, up and down, but there are, and, so I'm not a particularly religious person, so I, I don't really have a good grasp on how many religious people do or do not interpret this particular passage a certain way but i have encountered people that interpreted this as simply saying that it is not possible for man to know when the rapture is going to occur so stop thinking about it and they use that to just disregard any people that try to claim that they do know when it's going to happen there is an additional passage that talks about the rapture and like the coming of the, the birth of the antichrist rather and this passage is uh, "Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come," Jesus replied, "The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed." And that is passage Luke 17:20. In
0: post, I'm going to add some reverb to that for gravitas, but otherwise I'm going to leave that where it is and segue into sources. Sure. I included a link to Encyclopedia Britannica, on the canonization process of the Bible. So if you're interested in how all these very quotable phrases worked their way in there, it's all written down, and it includes uh, collecting both oral and written histories, and it has been translated into a bunch of languages, and I know some very zealous atheists try to say that makes it super inaccurate. (laughs) And it doesn't help, but it doesn't make it all invalid. And for every Bible quote, we've included a link to a Bible website that lets you take a look at the different verses. The meaning is the same. Sometimes they pick slightly different words, but generally the meaning is intact. And and that really makes it hard to do things like pull out a Bible code, because so many of these people are going through and recombining words or doing math based on the letters or something. And if slightly different words are picked, that's that ruins it. Yep. Ugh. So it just shows how ludicrous some of those claims are, and uh, I've also included two more sources. One for one from NASA.gov, which includes uh, an awesome video from Neil deGrasse Tyson, where he just debunks the 2012 Maya apocalypse and touches on Nibiru, and he just points out how ludicrous it is because everyone's talking about how awesome you know Mayan astronomers were and ignoring how even awesomer modern astronomers are.
1: Yeah, I remember the maya 2012 apocalypse stories and even when it was fresh and i was looking into it the explanation was pretty simple yes the calendar ends on a particular day that it was in 2012 but our calendar ends on december 31st of every year
0: yeah their calendar was designed to loop yep yep
1: and that was just the end of one loop
0: the next space source is uh, a space.com and it highlights some of the history of this Nibiru nonsense how it started with one of his books in 1976 and it links to one of the papers he based a ton of things on the paper highlights an anomaly in some telescope readings that were later just debunked and retracted nobody stands by them because it's just like hey our telescope picked up a weird thing and he's like that's Nibiru and when everybody else says no no that was a bad reading he he just kept going with it Mm -hmm. showing how dishonest he is, and he's going to come up throughout the rest of this. Yeah. And the last website, which I think is an amazing website, is cosmophobia.com. A Dr. David Morrison, who's a real doctor and gets quoted in a couple of these other NASA pages, uh, he invented the word cosmophobia to describe an unreasoning fear of the cosmos. He calls out Zechariah Sitchin as being a source of misinformation and even as a page dedicated to providing math for what an orbit of a planet Nibiru would have to be like. And there's no way you can get a planet that can both collide with Earth and be past Pluto and have a 3,600-year orbit and not just exit the solar system. It would just fly on through. Yeah. And he has a ton of rebuttals, a ton of math, and a really cool thing he does is he cites all of his sources at the bottom and he cites direct links to things like scholarly papers and it's... All highly reputable, and if he's doing math, he shows all of his work, and it all lines up with reality.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, can we take a pause? We're going to try that again. Only I can decode this. How many people have said that throughout time?
1: Uh, quite a few. Uh, I remember, was it Joseph Smith, the Mormon guy? He said that quite a bit.
0: Yeah, him and those golden plates, he even had a reputation for it. Yep. Nothing ever went wrong by listening to Joseph Smith. Nothing at all. There were never multiple violent armed conflicts involving hundreds of people on his word. I guess that means we should totally trust Zachariah Sitchin when he says that he's the only person who can read ancient Sumerian <laughs> to decode these documents that say that the Anunnaki came and genetically engineered humanity so we
1: could be slaves and mine gold. You know, what really gets me is... at least with religious figures like joseph smith they have the excuse well i have this capability because i was imbued by god if you can't read it it's because god has willed it so but yeah Zechariah sitchin here presumably was not blessed by god with this ability it's just a skill they picked up that apparently they can't share yeah The most special thing he's
0: got going is he has a degree from the University of London. Uh, He was even a journalist for a little while, and then went on to just write pseudoscience books. Fine. For people not familiar with the idea, pseudoscience is when you do something that sounds like science or looks like science, so you can gain the air of credibility. You can do things like claim to be an archaeologist, show a rock, but you're not really doing science because you're then doing things like claiming, hey, this rock is... Alien poop and proves UFOs or whatever the fuck you've got going on in this case he has a bunch of tablets that a lot of other people have already decoded and they're things like poems or religious uh, records or political records you know Kings did this Queens did that and he's saying that they're accounts of literal space aliens and little and literal spaceships coming down to do things
1: yeah yeah. So i doing a little bit of research on the Anunnaki that I have done. I've kind of sort of touched on that topic a little bit. They didn't, none of the sources that I was reading or really fact checking with, Mentioned that there was anything that Sitchin specifically was able to decode, but one thing that it kept coming back to frequently with the claims of the Anunnaki was the Sumerian king list.
0: Yeah, the King Stone, I believe, is the the name of this one tablet that has a list of kings on it, and he claims that that's special because DNA.
1: I no, that's not something that I picked up on, but I mean, it's clearly partially uh their mythology and i wasn't able to really <laughs> meaningfully decipher how much of it might be based on anything real yeah
0: i didn't get that far with it either i just got to the point where one of the claims on sitchin's website said that uh this list was a list of like genetic engineering projects or something equally ridiculous oh jeez! it's so far out there i was like i don't have time to rebut this this is nonsense and so much of this is like that. And just for how ridiculous this guy is, Wikipedia. Wikipedia is pretty neutral and impartial, right? Wikipedia says, quote, Sitchin's ideas have been rejected by scientists and academics who dismiss his work as pseudoscience and pseudo history. <laughs> if Wikipedia is just going to dunk on you like that, you're wrong. Yeah,
1: there's uh, quite a few people that try to keep Wikipedia on the level and with, well,. Sourced information and just, yeah, if Wikipedia has just formed a consensus and they feel that consensus is sufficiently rigid to be rem- remotely or reasonably passed off as fact, you messed up.
0: Yeah. I mean, even if Wikipedia is wrong here, then at a minimum, it means that he's terrible at PR, terrible at promoting himself, terrible at being accurate, or terrible at looking accurate. Mm-hmm. But I really think he's terrible at being accurate because, well, The lists of what Sitchin does wrong abound. (sighs) Uh, Going off a previous source, Cosmophobia has a page dedicated to the places where Sitchin skips out on academic rigor. He will take a paper that's wrong and base an argument off it. He'll take a paper that says A, B, and C and then say it claims the whole alphabet. He is openly dishonest. Yeah. To like a ridiculous degree. Yeah, I don't even know what to say about it. And some of his errors are just, like, ridiculous. Like, at one point, he tries to claim that the seasons change based on the Earth moving around the sun, not the the tilt of the Earth. He's claiming it's the, rota- uh, the location around the sun is setting the seasons, like we're moving further uh, away and moving close, like we're on an elliptical orbit, not the tilt of the Earth.
1: Oh, I mean, we do have a somewhat elliptical orbit, but not enough for that kind of an effect.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that also, that our elliptical orbit... Mm-hmm. is such that it makes the the winter in the Northern Hemisphere more mild, right? So it's backwards for like 80% of the population. Yeah, Most people live in the Northern Hemisphere, and we get more, or the sun is closer to us in the winter. And, and okay, you don't have basic science like this, correct? And you're going to tell me space aliens are coming? <laughs> I mean, I guess that's possible, but you've done nothing to build your credibility. Yeah. Uh, so how do we wind up refuting people like Joseph Smith and Zechariah Sitchin? Hmm. I guess it comes down to independent corroboration, In right?
1: Determining what, they're, what mechanism they are using to arrive at these conclusions. And of course, if that is something that can be shared with multiple people, then repeat the process to see if you get the same result, you know, the same basic uh, theory for experimentation and uh, peer review. But if they can't share that skill, then some evaluation over the just the veracity of that skill in the first place. Does it seem credible? So we could do things like
0: take Sitchin's or we could have Sitchin write down what the different symbols on the ancient Sumerian tablets mean and then use that to translate another tablet. Mm -hmm. We could verify a skill, which, by the way, he's failed tests similar to that. He hasn't been able to instruct anyone else on how to translate these things. Of
1: course he hasn't.
0: And anytime we do try to understand his claims and go about verifying them, like you're saying, Mm -hmm. or how I phrased it, independent corroboration, we get things like this Quora post where, uh, where, where somebody asked, how many people can read ancient Sumerian? And a large community is the answer. And then they go about listing all sorts of different schools. And all of these people who can read it and have websites translating it, and we've linked to that. Last week, we linked to one of those where you can go search all the ancient Sumerian texts. And we've linked to one uh, today. It's not in this section, but we'll get there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, where I believe it's actually a translation of the Kingstone or the King's Tablet. You can read all this and it's all translated and translatable and all the experts disagree with this guy. That doesn't prove him wrong, but when these other people have a model and they can write down in a book how to translate it and then it yeah. works, that's repeatable. That's looking a lot more like science. Mm-hmm. Now, it might be a little harder to debunk Joseph Smith like that because, presumably, he got his power from God. He got some magical seeing stone that he never showed anyone and kept hidden in a hat somewhere and magically disappeared when someone looked in the hat. Yep. We can try to verify Joseph Smith's credibility other ways. He had an awful lot of lawsuits for a man of God. He actually has a whole podcast dedicated to him now, and I'll link to the Naked Mormonism podcast. Great. It has a, uh uh you know what? It's a scathing indictment of all the lies that is the foundation of Mormon theology. <laughs> it is terrible. It's also accurate. I fact-checked it a couple times, and it just goes over where he lied constantly to build up his initial fame and fortune to begin building a religion. He just built lies on top of lies. Mm-hmm. It's entirely possible that that is the man God chose to be a prophet.
1: But you would think that God would choose somebody with a little bit more...
0: A Little more integrity? If I were God, I would not pick a known fraudster and huckster to be my prophet. Yeah. Anyway, I provide four links to various Mormon sources. There's uh, the Church of Jesus Christ.org, and it actually touches nicely into the, the deep space topic because uh, if you're a really good Mormon, you get your own planet in the afterlife. But the Church of Latter day Saints doesn't like it being described that way. And I'll quote from their doctrine. It says, uh, the Latter-day Saints doctrine of exaltation is often similarly reduced in media to a cartoonish image of people receiving their own planets. Well, they went on later to clarify, you get your own whole creation, so you get as many planets as you want.
1: Yeah, last time I spoke to a Mormon about that particular part of the book, they didn't really describe it as planet so much as it was just sort of a, I don't know, plane of existence, I guess. Something along those lines.
0: <sighs> okay, I also linked to Wikipedia. There's a, uh page for the golden plates it goes over joe's reputation and some of his seer sown nonsense i also link to wikipedia there's a page dedicated to and i'm quoting joseph smith and the criminal justice system it's a good thing for your prophet to have Oh. Uh-huh. i think that rounds out our sources there but i linked to cremo uh, and sitchin's wikipedia page and skeptic.com a skeptic dictionary that describes a ton about zechariah sitchin Including how some of his ideas spawned the Raelian cult, who is not at all the... I don't have a word for
1: this. You could just say that they have some strong and interestingly questionable views. To fuck aliens. They're a special breed, yes. I mean, if you have the opportunity to fuck an alien and just get in the history books, I mean, wouldn't you take it? Think my SO would get pretty mad? Ah, uh, I'm sure they'd understand.
0: No, I mean they would get mad because it would happen.
1: Damn.
0: <laughs> I just hard cut that segment there. That's brilliant. As we were doing our research for this, we came across a whole category of things that were other things, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You talked about the walrus bone that was really just a rock. Yeah. Um, we've got the face from the Viking mission back in the. Was it back in the 70s or 80s? Mm-hmm.
1: There was another one somewhere that I'm not readily seeing that was also like the shape of a woman that was in the, the yeah. Martian dust.
0: Yeah, that the link for that one is up in the previous uh, Reddit R Conspiracy stuff. Got it. In there, too, is uh, a rock that looks vaguely like E.T. from the 1980s movie. Oh. Yeah, it seriously looks like that little potato guy. Neat. Like, I know this is a podcast, this is an, an auditory medium, so it doesn't help a lot, but we're going to include links for all of these. There's a BuzzFeed link, another space.com link, another nasa.gov link, where you can see these pictures of things, and anunnaki.org, and there's a, a link I'll put in there to a, a subpage where they have pictures to uh, stone tablets and carvings that presumably look like gods creating men, or again, we, last episode we had... A circle around a guy's head so it looked like a space helmet and just the quotes going into this it's so leading it's misleading Mm -hmm. um one of the quotes is here's a sumerian anunnaki creating the first man uh one of them has a ufo uh, a thing in the sky they're calling a ufo or calling a flying saucer and says anu depicted a winged disc of nibiru comes to earth or maybe maybe there's a bird up there and they suck at drawing birds because it's (laughs) hard
1: There's a million other explanations for this. Yeah, not only that, but, like, presumably they're trying to, like, put it into stone or clay. And, like, you mess it up once, and you don't want to just throw the whole thing away. That's just a pain in the ass. So you just accept some errors.
0: Yeah. So I did a little bit of research on how we identify things. And since so many of these are faces... Right, there's faces in these stone tablets, there's the face on Mars, there's the woman in the dust, there's E.T., right? I just started reading up on Pareidolia, mm-hmm. and every skeptical anything eventually has to touch on Pareidolia. Every every skeptic has to deal with this, and it is our desire, our propensity to see faces in things.
1: Specifically faces?
0: Specifically faces. Okay. And go ahead and click on the, the Wikipedia link to Pareidolia that I've included in the show notes, and they have a circle with three lines, and it's a face.
1: Yeah, it's a displeased face. <laughs> I suppose
0: it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, We even attribute emotion to it. But just a little bit of reading, a little bit of checking sources. We have a part of our brain dedicated to identifying faces called the fusiform face area. And it processes faces way faster than we process cognition. So it can feed that information to the part of our brain that makes like higher level decisions. Like, why should I do this? What's going on here? And it feeds the same type of information about faces in that we get about like color and other simpler stuff like shapes. and
1: Yeah. And it makes perfect sense why that would be there because us being a, a social species, this is essentially our friend or foe system.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you see a face and you rapidly identify it as a, a man-eating tiger, you're going to have a very different reaction than, you know, if it's Bob at the pub. And that difference in reaction could save your life and determine whether or not you you,
1: get to be there for your kids. And you need to make that decision fast in some cases.
0: Oh, totally. So pareidolia means seeing faces and things. Mm -hmm. Also, motivated reasoning. I didn't have a good word for it, but it's when you decide what is true and then backfill evidence. Yeah. Right. So I learned that phrase. I'll include a link for that as well. It's not even necessarily wrong because we all start somewhere. Ideally, if we were perfect skeptics, we'd all start with a null hypothesis, then demand evidence for everything we let in.
1: But that's like not something that really happens in practice hardly ever.
0: Yeah, people aren't wired that way. I I don't know about any brain structures to get there. Most people, most of the time, are willing to accept new evidence, and when it gets overwhelming, they change their mind. Yeah. Yeah, on most things, right?
1: Yeah, you have an initial impression, and then that impression gets molded based off of the evidence.
0: And for whatever reason... People who can't have that impression changed, so people who are suffering from dis mm-hmm. find their way uh, onto Twitter or Reddit or YouTube and yell really loudly about it. <sighs> More seriously, on this topic, there isn't a lot of evidence coming from Mars right now because there's not a lot of people on Mars. We've got one rover with a bunch of sensors and probes and cameras. Having a single source does suck.
1: Don't we have two
0: rovers? Oh, we have a bunch of rovers.
1: Well, two active ones that from the United States.
0: Yeah, Curiosity's still up, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. 15 million years later. Dude, that rover's still going to be going, and the dinosaurs will have come back. Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) If only. That would be great.
0: The dinosaurs are there rebuilding it. Mm -hmm. The humans had a good idea here. (laughs) Not enough claw. (laughs) It had a claw, didn't it? (laughs) Not enough. Okay. (laughs) So NASA's the one source for evidence here. And that's really dissatisfying to a lot of people. And if you don't trust NASA, well, okay, fine. Don't then fabricate some alternative so you don't accept that as true. But that's that's not how we think. That's not how we operate. So people will insert BS things like Devon Island and the walrus bone. Even if NASA's lying, it doesn't make the walrus bone narrative true.
1: Yeah, it's not like they're going out of their way to be like, oh, what do people believe? Because we need to say literally the opposite. That is
0: like, why? And again, rating sources, what motive does NASA have to lie? Yeah. They get their funding independent of the results. I mean, if the probe crashed, the probe was still paid for. hmm uh, So on the topic of how we think and make decisions, I linked to an article on Hit XP. It's a blog from a, uh, another software developer, and he recounts a, a story I like to call the monkey story. And he even admits it may never have happened. But in, in the story, these monkeys, are they have a ladder and a banana at the top of the ladder. And whenever a monkey tries to climb and get the banana, the researchers, the scientists, spray him with water and knock him off. And eventually, they let new monkeys in. And the old monkeys stop the previous monkeys from going up and getting the banana. And eventually they they rotate in and out monkeys until there's no monkeys that were part of the original population. And none of the monkeys are letting any of the other monkeys climb up the ladder and they don't know why. That's not how they communicate. Mm -hmm. And to them, it's just superstition. They have no evidence. If the scientists stopped spraying water, they could get the banana. So this information persists in the culture, in the tradition of this fictional monkey troops pulling monkeys down so they don't get sprayed. And he likens that to lots of superstition because if we were smart enough we could figure out based on the evidence of getting sprayed that uh you know where the spray is coming from and how to deal with it and he takes the fairly extreme stance that everything is either firmly based on evidence or is superstition
1: that is pretty extreme
0: he makes a good case for it but he's also not trying to claim that little things like when we personify our dog Right, he's not trying to claim that's superstition, or at least he's distinguishing it from the normal way we talk about superstition. Okay. Because he's saying that the day-to-day type of things, we need a little bit of heuristics, is what I would call it, and he would call any heuristic either superstition or evidence. He'd cut a line right through the middle of it. But we need some of that to get by in our daily lives. Like maybe we don't have evidence right now that there's food in our fridge, but you know we have a reasonable expectation because we trust our roommates not to have eaten it all.
1: Sometimes that's a mistake, but
0: yeah. I know I'm fat, John. I'm sorry. Are you? (laughs) Thank you. I also include one more link from Science Direct. It's an excerpt from a scientific paper about motivated reasoning. Just because sometimes when you're this mired in disevidentia and people suffering from it, you need a peer-reviewed source that says people can actually change their mind with evidence. That's all that it says. Simple. A scientist told me, I guess I believe him now. (laughs) No, I need three papers to tell me people can change their mind.
1: Of course you do.
0: Uh, I kind of ran away with that one. Um, do you have any opinions about objects that look like other objects?
1: Uh, just the general notion that the brain is a pattern matching machine. It, well, I mean, it does more than that, of course, but that's a really, really, really big deal for higher order thinking. And we need to be able to identify patterns in order to accurately predict more and more complicated things that are going on all around us. Our extreme ability to do pattern matching is a significant chunk of why we have the civilization we have today. So, of course, we're going to have an exemplary ability to find patterns, even when there are no actual patterns. It's just not all that surprising. You need to do more than simply see the pattern. You need more than, oh, Jesus was in my toast. You need to be able to make meaningful predictions from it and
0: back it up. My prediction is you can sell that toast to a casino for some serious cash. Mm,
1: The proper casino? Yeah, probably. Sorry,
0: what? Do you think that'll come across? No. Moving on to alien super science. Oh boy, oh boy. So we've got some nuclear fission, and we've got lots of genetic engineering, lots of DNA, lots of uh, copulating with aliens? Uh, yes, guess, actually. Check, yeah, check the show notes for that one. I'll make sure you get it good. So before we go too far into it, let me list off some of these sources. We've got Anunnaki.org again. Africa is woke. Matrix Disclosure and Gaia.com. And these are going to be the, the main sources we go to for a lot of this. And some of these link to other places. Uh, Matrix links to alienpolicy.com, which is really vapid and empty, but has one interesting video. The seven tablets of creation and some of the other items we linked earlier are uh, recorded on sacredtext.com. And uh, Scientific American gets in here. <sighs> so, the Anunnaki, they genetically engineered us, right? Uh, well, Allegedly. Allegedly, they genetically engineered us to mine gold? Uh,
1: Yes, allegedly.
0: Okay, and allegedly, the early human gold mining equipment in ancient Mesopotamia was powered on nuclear fission?
1: Okay, so I didn't get far enough into my research for that claim to be the case. (laughs) Uh, They might have claimed that, I don't know, I haven't gotten that far. But there's enough other pieces that I did read and try to fact check that I can easily see them making that claim. Most of my reading on Anunnaki was just through the anunnaki.org website. And I just started on the main page and I started reading and I decided to fact check as many things as I possibly could. Curiously enough, the stuff that they started with is largely true. The stuff that is not like outright true, is close enough to true that it's not really reasonable to fault them for it.
0: What kinds of stuff are true?
1: They talk about not knowing where the Sumerians originally came from before they settled in Mesopotamia, which is true. The, or at least that is the scientific consensus among archaeologists, they don't really know where that population came from. We do have some evidence to suggest a few different directions where they might have come from, like there was uh, some a page that was talking about how they established trade with india or the indus valley uh, remarkably quickly after settling in which suggests that they had a prior knowledge of the indus valley uh, they also did genetic sequencing from four skeletons and they
0: oh did they find all the alien dna
1: they did not Or at least if there is alien DNA, it just blends in with the rest of the human DNA that we have as a basis for comparison. So... And just to clarify there,
0: we do have a long, continuous chain of human DNA going back much further than this, and there's no evidence that this was tampered with by anything other than normal evolution. Yeah, And I've even included a link, using Wikipedia a lot, but the Wikipedia page on The Molecular Clock which is a measurement of how often mutations are introduced into uh, the DNA of a population. And it's a pretty awesome way to know how long a population has co-evolved. Sorry.
1: So the genetic sequencing, they did find DNA that was very obviously related to, to both peoples of the Indus Valley as well as Northern Africa. So we're... Oh, so people on both sides of them. Yeah. It's almost as if people walk around. Indeed. They do occasionally walk around, even back then. The amount of... When were these feet things invented? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. But the amount of DNA that came from North Africans was smaller than the amount of DNA that came from the Indus Valley. So there is that extra tidbit. But we, we have a bunch of things that kind of suggest a few different directions and there is no real scientific consensus as to which one was first or which one was necessarily dominant. So the uh, claim that we do not know where the original homeland of the Sumerians before they settled in Mesopotamia, that's completely true. But now you bring that up because
0: presumably they want us to believe something.
1: Yeah, they want us to believe that the origin is aliens. Yeah. And we have no real evidence of any such thing. Uh, Some other claims, and and this one I actually kind of found a little bit funny. It's not directly related to all of this, but I was just amused. One of the claims they said was that it was the first recorded civilization with currency, astronomy, and farming. That is a weird claim because I like myself some nuance. And that is something that is just not very nuanced at all. I ended up first checking the veracity of the claim that it was the first recorded civilization with currency. But the problem I ran into is they don't sufficiently define currency because you can do currency a few different ways. And some of the early currencies that was exchanged in the, some of the first civilizations were commodity currencies. You just have a big pile of wheat and you just trade that as if it's money. Enough people want wheat. That, that kind of works. And the ancient Sumerians did do a pretty good share of commodity trading do you know if they ever got to the point where they
0: replaced trading the actual wheat with like wheat tokens of some kind
1: so they did later on in their civilization adopt the shekel the shekel was a dual purpose it was something that was both a unit of weight as well as a tradable currency so people would be like oh i want three shekels of wheat they put three actual physical shekels on one side of a scale put wheat on the other side and they would determine the quantity based on that, and if needed, they would also trade the shekel itself as it had an inherent value, and that was like I said later on in their civilization, so that claim is is certainly close enough to true, as an extra little tidbit that I learned, apparently Babylon was the first civilization that actually codified a debt law. okay, you invent money shortly afterwards, someone's going to invent debt, yeah, I was like, oh. Well, that happened really quickly then. Good not, for them.
0: Not the order I expected. Inventions. Didn't we train some monkeys on how to use money? What was the first thing they invented?
1: Uh, prostitution.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. So. Uh, so did the I'm, ancient Sumerians or the aliens invent that?
1: Uh, that's a good question. You might have to ask Sitchin
0: that one. Okay. Uh, you know, I think I'll ask Rayal. He's gonna have a
1: good answer. Oh my god. Okay, so the page that I went to to find out the currency thing was called the History of Currency on Wikipedia. Pretty straightforward name, and they got some really good information there. When I went to go check the astronomy claim, then uh, I just did a simple Google search, and one of the first things that popped up was the Wikipedia page, the History of Astronomy. Oh, so good. And in it, They don't really have a whole lot to say about Sumerian astronomy because we don't have all that much in the way of resources that I could find for Sumerian astronomy. We know that they looked at the stars and we know that they have a lot of symbology pertaining to the stars, but that's much more astrology than it is astronomy. And granted, you do need a certain amount of astronomy in order to support astrology. You need to make that initial observation and then you layer on nonsense on top of it but one of the the best examples of actual hard science astronomy that exists actually exists in the babylonian star catalogs and that star catalog many of the stars have sumerian names so we're pretty reasonable guess that they inherited some information from the sumerians and then built on top of it to create their star catalog so that's neat they they definitely do seem to be one of the first civilizations that took a a pseudo scientific approach, even if it didn't quite catch on uh, quite as much as it did in Babylon. But they had something there. And then when I went, so Sorry? this ancient star catalog mm-hmm. was
0: there enough there to steer a spaceship?
1: Uh, no, not really. All right,
0: more serious. Did they track planets? No. Okay. It was
1: mostly just like, oh, this dot in the sky. This is where you can expect to find it. It is named to this. It's just a big catalog of that.
0: Okay, so it doesn't sound like they were tracking a giant glowing planet Nibiru, because if that happened, if you know, a planet the size of Saturn came around, or hell, even a planet the size of Pluto came around near Earth mm-hmm. every thirty-six hundred years, it would be one of the brightest objects in the sky. It would be, you know, the sun, the moon, this thing. Yeah. Okay, so these people didn't write down, presumably, the brightest object other than the moon in the night sky. No, And they had a big old list. Okay.
1: I did not find any such uh, comment or entry regarding the Babylonian Star Catalog. Okay. Uh, So then I went on to research the, the farming claim, and seeing the pattern with the Wikipedia page, History of Currency... or rather history of money, and then the history of astronomy, I decided to type in history of farming. Uh, There is no history of farming page, sadly, but it did immediately redirect me to the page history of agriculture, (laughs) which I was all too pleased to see. And this is definitely the fuzziest one of the three, because in order to make that claim, you have to really define civilization first. Farming has existed for a lot longer than the Sumerian civilization. The earliest that we can see from recovered archaeological evidence that farming has existed is specifically referring to the founder crops. Things like uh, wheat and barley. There's in total, I think, nine different founder's crops. I I could be wrong on that. But it'd be like potatoes in South America. Yeah. Like one of the first things we farm. We turned it from something wild
0: into something domestic.
1: Yeah. So that that collection of crops that you can use to feed a population sustainably. The earliest point where we can see that actually happening was somewhere around 9500 B.C., which pretty well predates the Sumerian civilization. And so if they're trying to say that this was the first group that farmed, well, that's definitely false. We formed villages, and then those villages over a really long period of time eventually grew, and then we kind of started to create cities. And then if we're starting to define it as cities under common rule as the definition of civilization then we're, we're starting to get to something that's a reasonable definition where we could say that that claim is true
0: all right so i think with that claim they're not trying to deceive us into saying that ancient sumerians were the first farmers right
1: yeah probably not yeah
0: i think what they're trying to tell us is aliens gave us farming <laughs> uh, is that a fair assessment of your take uh, yeah, that's that's definitely on theme. So for... then they're full of shit because people farmed thousands of years before. Yeah, these not. Okay, so so our genes didn't change. They didn't give us astronomy. Our astronomy wasn't useful to space travelers, and they didn't give us any of the stuff that they. So, we, what did we get from these aliens?
1: A really cool story.
0: <laughs> uh. So with this Anunnaki nonsense, Sitchin seeded a seeded the idea of human alien hybrids. The Nephilim is what he calls them. Yep. And there's a yeah you know, he just lifts that from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And different groups like to take these religious terms and use them all slightly differently. And one group that does it a little differently is the Raelians, named after their founder Rayal. Mm-hmm. And I've linked some sources for this. Uh, there's the Ono, oh Ross, and Carey podcast. They investigate claims of the pseudoscience and religious so you don't have to. It's totally worth a listen. I link to their specific episode. I link to real.org because seeing exactly how special they are firsthand is kind of amazing. It's actually a fairly professionally built, good-looking webpage. Yep. But when you see that they're asking for donations for an embassy for the Elohim, who is, uh, again, one of those religious words— Turned into a sci-fi thing. They're just the gray aliens, like you see from Roswell. Right.
1: (laughs) Just normal grays?
0: Yeah, just normal grays. Hmm. They're going to come, and they need a place to stay, and this place needs to be well suited for copulating with aliens.
1: Oh, specifically copulating.
0: Uh, I I pick that one up a lot because... Because we don't have enough Nephilim? Sure. Okay. But of the other claims of this group, that's the fun one to go to. Right. We could talk about how, I'm sorry, this is the one last group, uh, Skeptic Dictionary again. They have a Raelian page. But we could also check out some of the other amazing claims and things that the Raelians do. They started a nonprofit group called Clone Aid dedicated to helping people clone humans. They're advertising it.
1: Oh, that makes it very useful to detect whether or not you are a clone.
0: I would think that would make it harder. Because if there's more clones out there, how do you know if you are one?
1: Well, presumably they have a ironclad system for determining whether or not you are the original or a clone. <laughs> I think
0: you're just the oldest? They're uh, they're sticking closer to the science on this one. It's still BS, but at least they're saying that when cloning happens, we will help what are they they're advertising it to homosexual couples, is their phrasing. Huh. They want to clone one of the partners and put them into surrogate mothers. So you can have clone babies of yourselves. That's really weird. The reason it's BS is we're nowhere near the science for cloning people. And they keep saying they'll help you do it. But then they don't have any science. And they say they're funding the science. And there actually is a little stream of money going from them to actual scientists. But they take in a lot of money. It's a cult of like 50,000, 60,000 people. And they take in donations from that many people. And then like a couple dollars go off to some scientist at some university. So the money's stopping somewhere in the organization. Mm Mm-hmm. Ugh. But yeah, these guys were on some level inspired by this nonsense, and they are, they are they are downright nonsensical. They have three books. They call the messages from the aliens. Uh, don't buy them. They're ridiculous. But if you have to buy them, we put sponsored Amazon links in the show notes. Of course. But don't buy them. They are disreputable in the extreme, and even if you just hear Rayel speaking. It is ridiculous how obviously full of crap he is. Uh, there was one video that we heard the audio of in the Ono Ross and Carrie podcast where there was some background noise and he just straight up said, oh yeah, those are the alien jetpacks. I'm like, dude, that was clearly like interference of some kind. Like, uh. yeah, so this is the level of credibility it's at. They are a sex cult and that's part, it's all about getting Ray all laid. He, he used to be a race car driver. What was his name? He has a real name somewhere.
1: Claude Maurice Marcel Vorilhan.
0: Yeah, so uh, Claude Vorilon was a race car driver who turned into a motorsports journalist and then a cult leader. And I'm sure he was used to rolling in the, the drugs and women and, and then decided to turn that into the life and convinced a lot of people to give him money and started a sex cult.
1: Imagine that.
0: Okay, so one last thing on the, the Anunnaki. Oh, boy. You wanted, or you brought up a, or I brought up the nuclear reactor thing. Okay. You said you did a bunch of research there. I was about to start going into re- refuting it, but there's ways to refute both these groups. But first,
1: I want to hear about these nuclear reactors. So, yeah, the nuclear reactors. Uh, on the Anunnaki website, they try to make a claim that... uh. In Africa, we have evidence of ancient mining operations doing sophisticated things. And they provided a link to evidence of this. And I was deeply, deeply pleased that they actually provided a link to something that was not just another Anunnaki website. That was awesome. So They link to a Scientific American page where they talk about the Oklo mine in Gabon, Africa. And inside this mine, they were mining uh, uranium. And this uranium was being shipped off to power nuclear reactors. And a French scientist that was responsible for inspecting the ore for refinement discovered that it was a little bit off. It didn't quite have the proper quantity and distribution of isotopes that it should. It wasn't off by a ton, but it was off by enough that He knew because he went to college for this. He knows his stuff. He knew that this was something that was worth looking into. So they took a closer look at the mine to try to understand what happened to the distribution of these isotopes. And when they collected more information, they found out that there's a a very particular structure to the way that this uranium is, is scattered in this mine and the surrounding rock and the rocks and everything is is arranged in such a way that it is actually producing a natural nuclear fission reaction and this is again i have to emphasize this completely natural there was nothing in it to suggest there was any kind of manual intervention from humans or aliens at all and the actual way that it was structured is remarkably similar to something that was described by a scientist 19 years prior in a published document. It was published in 1953 by George Wetherill, and he described all the different mechanisms and the placement of rocks that would be necessary to produce such a phenomenon, and he went on to say that, yes, this would be rare and would require the right conditions, but there's nothing that we understand about geology that prohibits it from happening. 19 years later, we actually find a natural occurrence of this. And the conditions inside the mine are remarkably similar to what Dr. Wetherill described in his paper. Now, that's awesome. I did not know that nature could just produce its own nuclear fission reactors just as a quirk of stone placement. But the Inunaki website was trying to claim that its existence proves that there was a mining operation In this location, which their own source does not claim, and no reasonable person that is researching this topic would infer this.
0: So this reactor, did it just change one kind of uranium into another and produced a bunch of waste heat?
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: Okay, so it wasn't like... A big electrical thing. It was like an arrangement of granite or whatever surrounding a bunch of uranium ore to capture the radiation and forced it to degrade
1: or, or yeah, there was, to turn into something else faster. There was granite being forced up through geological forces and there was sandstone packing the uranium vein in such a way that it was able to produce this reaction.
0: Okay, so it just made a nuclear reaction that changed the amount and kinds of uranium they were finding there. And then, wait, so this means that the ancient Sumerians didn't have nuclear-powered equipment? Well, not
1: that we can tell.
0: I'm beginning to think the Anunnaki never visited.
1: That would be very disappointing.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) So we've disproven the DNA uh, tampering with the molecular clock. We've looked into this nuclear reactor thing that's just clearly bogus. We know of the Raelians. What are common ways to investigate and dig into, you know, when large groups of people are telling you telling you things like this that there you know there's a whole community of these anunnaki conspiracy theorists and
1: the Raelians, you know there's there's five digits worth of them it's no real difference than just what we're looking for in a good source and we one of the first things that you mentioned the primary thing that you look for in a source is questioning its motive
0: oh like all that money that's disappearing inside the Raelian organization maybe that's the point or yep the sex
1: Okay. Money and sex is uh, pretty popular among human interests.
0: Well, it's not obvious right off the bat what the motive is for this Anunnaki stuff until you see that the people pushing it are publishing tons and tons of books.
1: Yeah, a lot of these conspiracy theories uh, tend to produce a large amount of literature, and that's at least the baseline money-making from conspiracy theories.
0: And again, I linked to eight of six of Sitchin's books. I picked one cycle where they cover this nonsense don't buy them but if you have to buy them buy them from our amazon sponsored link Mm -hmm. but just look at them and see how ridiculous they are you can read a few pages of some of these they are so implausible that they ought not to be believed that there is a community of millions of people believing this is deeply upsetting Mm -hmm. um let's see for the link i'm sorry for uh uh, I link to a source about breeding with aliens. It's E621. Go ahead and check that in the show oh notes. Oh my god. Okay. Should I say that again without you talking?
1: No, no. You <laughs> should include my oh my god.
0: <laughs> uh, don't go to that site at work. Another good thing to do to verify uh, uh, groups like this is look into the credibility of the leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Real has... He has a whole colorful history, and he's uh, been accused of sexual abuse and pedophilia, but he hasn't been convicted, arrested, or indicted on such crimes. So they're just allegations. Uh, he is not somebody I would immediately trust right off the bat. Sitchin, he's, he, he doesn't have any special claim to this, and he's constantly disagreeing with academics. There's no theres no credibility to, to be found with these two. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking for external evidence right so much of what the anunnaki and the Raelians are claiming are things like uh okay so one claim we didn't touch on was the global flood oh no we touched on the global flood
1: earlier touched on it yeah
0: yeah uh both of them refer to a global flood and uh, with a lot of the anunnaki believers they claim that uh, noah was given arc plans and then the aliens stayed up in space the Raelians actually claim that uh, aliens brought humans up and the Ark was a spaceship Then dropped them back down. Uh, there was no global flood. We have tons of evidence. I, I link to t- uh, the talk origins, flood at FAQ. Ancient Sumeria was also just a normal place. I mean, if we look into it and look for evidence, right, we can find it is actually a remarkable normal place. They were the first to have all these things that Mako was talking about. Yeah. Uh, and they have a bunch of other cool things for the time period. Like, they have some of the oldest pottery. They have cool tools. They
1: the, Okay, one thing that I did find from my research about ancient Sumeria was their numbering system. So a lot of the things that we do that are kind of weird with numbers, like 360 degrees in a circle or 60 seconds to a minute, 60 minutes to an hour, This all this type of stuff... Actually, has its origins seemingly from Sumerian civilization because their numbering system is a sixty-six-zero base numbering system.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. I uh, I thought that was the ancient Babel- Babylonians that came up with that, but that makes sense. If the Sumerians came up with it, the Babylonians came up in a similar region right after. Yep. Okay. Again, with all these innovative and amazing things these people did do, we shouldn't let fictitious stories about aliens overshadow how smart and accomplished these people were they were people just like you and me smart and capable they just didn't have the benefit of advanced education advanced podcasting tools (laughs) the cell phone or computer you're listening to this on right now right they were doing the best they had the astronomy they had was advanced for the day but not advanced for somebody with a telescope yeah not having tools didn't make them dumb it just limited them in other ways and uh, I put a link to the Human Origin Project and History.com in here, so you can see some of the remarkable things they actually did do. Um, oh, one last link. There's a link in there for understanding evolution. It describes how evolutionary algorithms work, because the whole notion of evolution is also at odds with both of these claims. If we can trace back how DNA moved through our history, how it changed and how it flowed, and we don't see any interruptions, there's no room for this. Uh, Mm-hmm. okay this is gonna be one of our longer podcast episodes so we should probably cut it off here we could go on for hours and hours and hours there's so much stuff going on with the anunnaki and other deep space topics
1: yeah i only covered like maybe a quarter of the th- fact checking that i did from the anunnaki website there is so much more yeah
0: thanks to our supporters including nice hash
1: See the link in the show notes to get some scratch from your gaming computer. Thanks to all of our Patreon supporters, including our newest supporter at the enthusiast level, Sean, and our previous supporters, including Jared. You can support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash If you spent all your money on a Soyuz space tourism ticket, you can still like, subscribe, and leave a review to help us out. Copyright 2021 Blacktop Studios Incorporated. Intro music was slow by PitX, used with permission.